John chapter 3. Our text is going to be 31 through 36, but I'm going to read for us verses 25 through 36. John chapter 3, verses 25 through 36. This is the word of Almighty God. Now, a discussion rose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he's seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but... The wrath of God remains on him. Will you pray with me? Father, please add your blessing to our teaching, our study, our response to your holy word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Believe. Believe. Isn't that a great message? Believing is at the core of the gospel according to John. The apostle said to us, he wrote what he wrote, that we might believe in the Lord Jesus and that by believing we may have eternal life. But believing is not only a message you find in the Bible. Did you know that? Believing, believing is everywhere. Let me ask you, when's the last time you watched a Disney movie? When's the last time you went to one of those overpriced theme parks? What do they tell you? Believe in yourself. Have faith. Dream your dreams, because your dreams will dreamy you to dreamy bliss. Modern gurus and counselors all over the world say to you, just believe, just hope, just speak confident words into the universe. But what's the difference? What's the difference between believing the way the Bible says and believing the way Disney says? The difference is the difference between an objective and a subjective faith. Now, let me help with those words in case they're unfamiliar to you, okay? Subjective faith is a belief with nothing in focus. Objective faith, get this, has an object. Objective faith is belief in something, not just belief for the sake of belief. So let's just say that I go up to the top of the stratosphere, 
Because I've heard about this cool deal they've got where they harness you up to a vertical zip line and you can jump off and free fall and land safely at the bottom. How many of you would do that? I would do that, just so you know. And if anybody wants to want to fund that, you know, I'm, I'm in. But, yeah, thank you. But what do I have to believe in order to do that, that thing from the strat? I've got to believe that the equipment is sound, right? I've I got to believe that the zip line works. I've got to be- believe that the brakes work, that's for sure. Even more importantly, the things that I believe have to be objectively, actually true. But what if it turns out I was wrong? What if, in fact, the equipment wasn't properly installed? Or what if the harness wasn't really set up right? Or what if things weren't attached, like, at all? But I trust it. I mean, I believe deep down in the equipment. You know what I'm talking about? I ooze faith. Would I be safe jumping off the top of the stratosphere? No. What if I just believed hard in general, just, just really, really believed? I just have faith in faith, and then I decide I'm going to hop off the top of that tower on my own with no harness because I have faith. What happens when I hop off the strat? Splat. That's exactly right. That's even in my notes. The word splat is in my notes. You got it. Just believing Having a sense of great hope and confidence, but not believing in something that is reliable is meaningless. All right, I want to give you a quick conversation from a favorite book of mine. I want you to listen to a teacher talking to her nine-year-old student, okay? The quote says, Miss Tick sniffed, you could say this advice is priceless. Are you listening? Yes, said Tiffany. Good. Now, if you trust in yourself, yes, and believe in your dreams, yes, and follow your star, Miss Tick went on, yes, you'll still get beaten by people who spend their time working hard and learning things and weren't so lazy. Now, goodbye. I like that quote very, very much. So if anybody asks you, do you believe, what should your response be? Believe in what, precisely? See, the question, do you believe, with no object of that belief, is a meaningless question. Last week, we began to look at an encounter between John the Baptist and some of his disciples who were dealing with a bit of jealousy over Jesus and his ministry. They seemed bothered that Jesus was now drawing the crowds instead of John. But John reminded his followers, this is perfectly the way things are supposed to be. John is the one sent by God to point people to Jesus. And John the Baptist wants people to believe in Jesus. So we're going to pick up the text here, verse 31. We're going to find six points. And each of these six points are going to help us to believe in Jesus and to understand the impact of that belief. Because after all, belief in belief is useless, but belief in Jesus changes your eternity. So point number one, are you ready to write some things down? Good, thank you. Belief Jesus is above all. 
Point number one is believe Jesus is above all. Look at verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. John the Baptist has just said to us about Jesus, he must increase. I must decrease. John wants us to see that there are major differences between who he is and who Jesus is. And now John describes a really important difference between himself and Jesus. Jesus comes from above. John, you and I come from below. In this instance, what we're saying is that above is heaven, below is earth. And John wants his disciples to grasp how much more important Jesus is. Because we who are of earth, according to this text, speak of things we see on earth. We may speak of seemingly great realities, but we always have a bit of a worldly limitation to our speech. We may glimpse great aspects of the glory and the majesty and the beauty of God. But now get this, because I want you to understand this. You might have had great views and great experiences of God in your life, but we don't fully grasp the greatness of God yet. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. As the Apostle Paul points to the perfect knowledge of God that we're going to have someday, he contrasts it with what you and I can see right now. Here on earth, let me ask you, do you think here on earth we see some of who God is? This is the group participation part. What do you think? Do we see some of the beauty of God here? Without question, right? But what we can see and know, is it good? Yeah. Is it glorious? Yeah. Have you, ever, have you ever had a time in worship, in Bible study, in prayer, in praise, when you felt like, wow, God is great? Have you had that experience? Yeah. It's good and it's real and it's true as long as we're following the revelation of God in Scripture. But what you see today is still merely a dim reflection of the true majesty of God. No matter how great a picture of God you have ever gotten in your mind, no matter how loving or glorious God is as you think about him, no matter how great your experiences of joy in God's presence have been, you have still only experienced a dim reflection of the true greatness of Almighty God. As an old pastor friend of mine once said about this verse, it's a muddy picture, but one day it will be clear. Well, John the Baptist knew this was true. Though his view of God was right, though, though John had been inspired by God to preach, though John was a prophet of God, John did not have a perfected picture of God just yet. There's somebody else, John says, who can explain God better than I can, who, can, who knows God more fully. John was limited to the earth. But the one who came down from above, he is above all. The one from heaven, he's the one with the complete view of God. The one who came down from heaven, he is the one who ranks highest among all people because he came from heaven and he's not limited to an earthly perspective. See, John's disciples, they're all upset. People are going to follow Jesus and not John. But John's like, yeah, that's right. 
Jesus ranks higher than John because Jesus came from heaven. John would ask, do you, do you want to follow the right person? Whom should you follow? John's answer is, go find the guy who came to earth from heaven. Find the guy whose picture of God is most accurate and follow him. Let that guy teach you. Be that guy's disciple because he outranks John. He's not of this world. He outranks John because he came down from heaven. You know, throughout history, there have been men who have tried to rank the greatest teachers of all time. And they rank Jesus pretty high in that list usually, don't they? Here's the problem. They are failing to see that Jesus comes from an entirely different place. He's of a different class, of a different rank. Jesus is not a Buddha. He's not an enlightened man. Jesus is not limited to being a prophet, a man who hears and declares the message of God. Jesus is not only a teacher with good morals and inspiring ideas. Jesus is from above. He is God who came to earth, and so he's not number one on the list of good teachers. He's the only one on a totally different list. Jesus is the only God who ever became man so that he could reveal to us who God really is and save our souls from the wrath of God. When you think about Jesus, don't think of one of many good teachers. Think instead about the one true God and bow to Jesus' superiority. Jesus is God, and he must be worshipped. He's not a teacher whose message you can take or leave as it strikes your fancy. Jesus has the right to command you to obey him, to change, to grow, and he has the authority and the ability to judge you if you won't. You and I are from below. Jesus is from above. Believe Jesus is above all. Recognize his rank as Lord and let it change how you relate to him. Let's keep going here. Point number two, believe Jesus' testimony. Point number two is believe Jesus' testimony. Verse 32 says, He bears witness to what he's seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Speaking of Jesus, John the Baptist declares that Jesus bears witness. And John's testifying here about Jesus. He wants us to think in the way that one might think in a courtroom. We've got claims of truth about Jesus. Should we believe those claims of truth or not? Well, we'll see some witnesses who will testify, and they will tell us whether we can believe the claims about Jesus. And the first witness John calls is Jesus himself. Because he says Jesus testifies to what Jesus has seen and heard. We already said this, right? When Jesus talks about heaven and hell, when Jesus talks about his identity as God in the flesh, Jesus is not passing along hearsay to you. He speaks about heaven as an eyewitness as God who came to earth. Jesus can tell you and me exactly what's the character of God, what are the ways of God, what is the plan of God, because Jesus knows the eternal plan of God's glory and grace. You know why? Because Jesus made the plan. 
He, he participated in the covenant of redemption with the Father and the Spirit as the one holy triune God. Okay, so there's a time in my life when I was younger. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but it, it did happen. And when I was younger, I actually majored in college in a degree connected to computer programming. So my undergraduate degree in college is a combination of computer information processing and advanced technical studies with a minor in speech communication. I always believed that if my degree title sounded longer, I would sound smarter. So I would, I would write computer programs in college to accomplish all sorts of things. I had to write a billing system for an electric company as a major project one year. It was a lot of work. Well, obviously you don't just find that interest in college. I used to love, even when I was a kid in high school, I would write little programs and li like little, little games, little computer games in BASIC on my Commodore 64. Who knows what one of those is? That's right. No one knows about writing games, but he didn't know about a Commodore 64, I don't think. But anyway, so when I would write those games, sometimes my friends would play those games. You can imagine, right? Great way to blow off time in class. And sometimes the computer games that I would write would require you to answer a question or solve a puzzle. Now, I want you to imagine that you are one of my high school friends. So, you know, don't grow a beard, just grow the mullet. It's, that's what you gotta do. And I want you to imagine that you're playing one of the games that you know I programmed, and there's a question, and you're stuck. And I want you to imagine that I'm standing right there with you. If you can't solve the, the puzzle or answer the question, who would be the right person to ask? I think you'd ask me, right? And if I gave you the answer to the question, oh, it's C, how foolish would it be for you to say, I don't think that's it? Trust me, if I programmed the game, I know the answer, and I can testify as to how one ought to go about solving the puzzle. Here's the deal. Jesus is the programmer. Jesus came to earth from heaven. Jesus testifies to us about God and how you and I can be right with God. And how foolish would we be if we were to refuse to listen to Jesus? How crazy are we if we think, no, don't you worry about it, Jesus. I'll come up with my own way. Or take it a step further. It is evil for a person to see the sacrifice of Jesus, hear from God that Jesus is the way to be forgiven, and then say, I will not come to God in that way. At that point, you have belittled the value of the sacrifice of the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31 speaks to this by saying, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. 
Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There is one will of God. It's the shared will of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And one cannot approach God the Father without coming to him through faith in Jesus, God the Son. To refuse to believe in God the Son is to refuse to obey God, period. To reject the Son of God is to reject the Father and the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist says Jesus came from heaven, bearing witness to what he's seen and heard, but people do not believe him. John the Gospel writer actually said the same thing back in the prologue of this book in John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. He said, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Jesus has come into the world, friends, and many people will not receive him. John, John the Baptist said no one believes him. That's a little bit of an exaggeration for effect, because earlier in the chapter, John's disciples are mad because everybody's going after Jesus and not John. But for you and for me, exactly how many people believe Jesus and how many people don't believe Jesus is not the issue. Instead, for you and me, the major issue is whether or not you believe. Children, this is for you. Do you believe? Have you believed what Jesus says about himself? Because Jesus came down from heaven to show you the way and to be the way that you can be okay with God. And you either believe in Jesus, confess that you're a sinner and surrender to Jesus as your Lord, or you reject Jesus. And I would urge you, believe Jesus' testimony. Come to Jesus for life. Third point. Believe Jesus to believe God. Number three, believe Jesus to believe God. Look at the next verse, 33. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Remember earlier I said to you that John the Baptist kind of points us to testimony like we're in a courtroom? Here he's calling his second witness. John the Baptist says that if you believe Jesus, you believe God. That, of course, is a reference to God the Father so we have our second witness on the stand to tell you how to be right with God. We've heard Jesus' testimony. Now we have reference to the testimony of the Father. John the Baptist says, whoever believes Jesus, whoever accepts Jesus' testimony about himself, 
sets his seal to this, that God is true. What does it mean to set your seal to something? Well, in ancient days, setting your seal to a document was like signing a document formally and and legally. It might even be kind of like signing a document that you have notarized. If a document had to be seen as binding, if a document had to be seen as authentic, what a person would do is you'd drip a little blob of wax there on the document, and then you'd have a, a ring with a seal on it, and you'd press that signet ring into the wax while it's still warm. And when the wax would cool, the mark that was left on the paper would be your seal. It was unique, and it would authenticate the document, just like a a legal signature does in culture today. So the picture here is like a legal affidavit. I want you to imagine that you're on the stand and you have written down in front of you the testimony of God the Father. And God the Father says in writing that Jesus, God the Son, has come to earth to save the souls of God's children. And this legal document is a command that says everybody must confess that they're a sinner and and they've got to let go of any idea of earning their way to heaven and they've got to cry out to Jesus in faith for mercy. The document says your only hope is Jesus and Jesus' finished work. Not any good thing you can do. Only the good things Jesus has done can save your soul. Now, here's the question. Would you sign off on that document saying you believe it? Would you sign it saying, I agree, God, to your terms? Would you say, God, I will submit to the lordship of Jesus and put my trust in Jesus alone for salvation of my soul? Would you sign it? Would you seal it? If so, then John says, you are sealing, you're signing, you're agreeing that God has told you the truth. Jesus testified about what he's seen and heard, believe Jesus. God the Father has testified to Jesus, believe Jesus to believe God. Now, point number four. You still with me, by the way? All right, very good. It's always good for me to check. Point four, believe Jesus because of the Spirit of God. Look at this. This is so cool. Verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So now we get to a third witness. Jesus, the one whom God has sent, utters the words of God. We saw that already. But there is another evidence, and the evidence here is another person. Jesus has and gives the Spirit without measure. So we can say that the Spirit of God now is the third witness to the truth of Jesus. You know, throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit of God shows up, right? The Spirit of God comes upon people. But there's a limitation to it in the Old Testament. King Saul had the Spirit of God on him for a time, didn't he? And then he didn't. The Spirit left King Saul. Samson had the Spirit of God come on him and leave him, and come back. And it seemed like it was prevalent among the prophets that they could prophesy when the Spirit of the Lord had come upon them. But when Jesus was baptized in the New Testament, John the Baptist declared that he saw the Spirit of God come down and remain on Jesus. 
The Spirit of God stayed on Jesus without leaving. There was no limit to this. Jesus has the Holy Spirit in infinite supply, and because of that fact, we know Jesus speaks the message of God. The beautiful promise for everyone who comes to Jesus is that we too, at the moment of our salvation, receive the Holy Spirit of God as a permanent seal of our salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14 reads, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of God of his glory. So those who come to Jesus are sealed by God's Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God indwells us, never ever leaving us. He teaches us to understand God's word. He convicts us of our sin. The Spirit of God subtly changes our desires to match the will of God. And as we make God our number one treasure, God will shape our lives so that we know him more and more. Because as we seek God as the greatest treasure, God satisfies our soul by giving us the joy of knowing him and his glory. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Believe Jesus because of the Spirit of God. The Spirit testifies to Jesus. The Spirit remained upon Jesus. The Spirit comes to indwell those who trust in Jesus. The Spirit satisfies our souls and gives us the hope of heaven. Now, let's stop because I've been talking a lot. Put the witnesses together. Isn't this cool? We know that the message of Jesus is reliable because Jesus is God who came down from heaven. Because he carries the message of God the Father. And because he has the Spirit without measure. Y'all, that is an infinitely persuasive testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That testimony demands that you believe in Jesus for life. So point number five now. Believe Jesus because of his Father's love. Look at verse 35 here. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. God the Father loves God the Son. All of human history revolves around this glorious relationship. D.A. Carson says... Quote, even the unfolding of redemptive history finds its ultimate source in the loving relationships of the Godhead. Your life, my life, our lives, we exist because of the love present in the Holy Trinity. Your purpose for existing is tied to the glory and love of God as we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in perfect union and perfect love as the one true God. I want you to listen to these words of Jesus. I want you to hear how important the love of the Trinity is to your and my salvation. Listen to the words of Jesus at the end of the great high priestly prayer of John 17. 
20 to 26. Listen to, the, listen to how much this matters. Jesus prays, praying for his disciples and for you and me, by the way. He's going to pray for us in this prayer. He says, quote, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you've sent me. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them." Did you get it? Your whole soul's eternity is based on the fact that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. The love within the Holy Trinity is paramount in our understanding of the gospel. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. And the church is the bride of Christ, the Son, given to him as a gift from the Father because of the Son's sacrificial work on the cross. And we were drawn to the Son and we're marked for this future by the Spirit. At the end of verse 35, we see that the Father, out of love for the Son, gives to the Son all things. Besides that telling you that the Father really loves the Son, besides that telling you that the Son is telling the truth, that's also a proof in the gospel according to John, one that not everybody sees, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is divine. A.W. Pink, the old commentator, says, How this brings out again the absolute deity of Christ. To none but to one absolutely equal with himself could the Father give all things. You guys get that? God could not give all things to me. You know why? I'm not big enough. Right? Does that make sense to you? I couldn't handle it if God the Father gave everything into my hands. But Jesus, because he is infinite as God in the flesh, can in fact receive all things because Jesus is God. So what have we got so far? Believe Jesus is above all. He came to us from heaven, right? Believe Jesus' testimony of what he's seen and heard. Believe Jesus to believe God because the Father testifies to Jesus, right? Believe Jesus because of the Spirit of God. And believe Jesus because of his Father's love. Now, we're going to wrap up, but I want to give you one last point. And this is going to remind you why it matters so much that you believe in Jesus. So the sixth point for this afternoon, believe Jesus for life. Believe Jesus for life. Please look at verse 36 with me. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 
Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There's a pretty good summary, wouldn't you say? Here's everything we've seen so far. This verse is short, it is simple, it is encouraging, and it's terrifying. I've told you, believe Jesus. Here's the result. Believe Jesus and you have life. Refuse Jesus and you face the wrath of Almighty God. If you believe Jesus, what that means is this. You, you understand, you, you acknowledge the truth. You turn away from sin and you trust in Jesus. You've got to understand, Jesus is God who came to earth. And after he did everything that God has ever commanded, Jesus willingly died as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of every person God's going to forgive. And after Jesus died on the third day, he rose from the grave and he's alive today. You and I are sinners. You and I cannot make ourselves right with God on our own. Our only hope is to be forgiven by God because of Jesus. And when we see our sin, we've got to decide to turn away from it, to surrender to God, to ask God to have mercy on our souls because of Jesus. And all who come to Jesus in faith and repentance will be saved. And note, by the way, Believing in Jesus, faith in Jesus, always leads to obedience to Jesus because believe and obey in this verse are parallel terms. Here John once again says, all who believe in Jesus have eternal life. That means we will live forever with God in perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect happiness. Eternal life is being forever perfectly fulfilled as God designed us to be. Eternal life means that you're going to live forever in a brand new body that's been resurrected from the grave. It's this body, but better. It's designed to last forever, just as Jesus rose from the grave in his body, and then that body's been glorified to last for eternity. But, Listen to me. If you refuse to believe in Jesus, you're refusing to obey God. After all, God commands all people everywhere to repent and believe in Jesus for life. And this is the only way you can be saved. If you turn your back on this, you face the wrath of God. And that'll be a judgment that's endless because God, who is holy, hates sin with a perfect, infinite wrath. So what's the message today? Believe Jesus. And by the way, if you believe Jesus, give him all the glory, because you would never believe on your own. Believe Jesus. And here, we see why it matters. Believe Jesus, and God will give you life forever. Refuse Jesus. And you'll suffer the wrath of God. So I urge you, surrender and believe in Jesus today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bow now. And we know we need your grace in Jesus. Please, Lord, for those here who are here who don't know you, who have never trusted you, 
Help them believe in Jesus. Have mercy, God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.